Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again that we're able to gather here today uh, and to uh, engage in fellowship, even though many of us are quite far away from each other. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that we're able to use this technology to share the gospel, to uh, spend time together online and to be able to learn of you. And today, Lord, I just bless, I just ask that you would bless this message, that you would bless each person that hears it, that you would open their hearts and their minds and their spirit to it, and that your word would go forth uh, powerfully. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, like I said, the message today is based on Romans 7, 1 through 6. We're continuing in the book of Romans, and it's entitled Serving in the Spirit. So please open your Bibles to Romans 7, 1 through 6. I've also got the words up here on the screen. And it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for my for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God, for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So Paul's continuing here to build on his argument for the fact that we are saved by grace. We're not saved by works. We're no longer condemned by the law if we are truly in Christ. And he's been giving this lesson in a few different ways over the last couple sermons that we've engaged in, in the book of Romans. But let's look at verses 7, 1 through 4 to start. He says, Or do you not know, brethren, for, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, where Paul says he's speaking to, the, to, the, to those who know the law, who's he speaking about? The Jews. He's preaching to the Jews here, but this also applies to Gentiles. It applies to everyone. But that's why it says in parentheses, for I am speaking to those who know the law. In verse 2, he continues, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So Paul's explaining our freedom from the law using the example of marriage here. And one thing that you guys have heard me preach on before is the fact that uh, marriage is very prevalent 
The model of marriage is very prevalent in the gospel message. And that's one reason why the world tries to corrupt the sanctity of marriage constantly. And we've seen that happen worse and worse over the last few years. But just keep that in mind. Marriage and the model of marriage, especially in the Jewish context, shows up over and over again in the gospel message. So Paul's using the example of marriage here to explain how we are dead to the law. We no longer serve according to the law legalistically. We serve according to the spirit in Christ. And our death in Christ has freed us from our obligation to the law by covenant. What was the old covenant? There are many covenants that God made with his people in the Old Testament. But really what we're talking about here is the covenant of works of works according to God's law. The old covenant was, if you obey my law, God speaking, if you obey my law, you obey it perfectly, you will be saved through that adherence to God's law. Has anyone ever obeyed God's law? No. The only person that ever walked this earth that obeyed God's law perfectly was Christ. We'll strive for obedience to the law, and this is for those under grace, those that are in Christ right now. We will strive for obedience to the law, but our failings no longer condemn us. Why? Because we are under the covenant of grace, and we stand in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the new covenant God made with Christ, that covenant was Christ living a perfect sinful and holy life in absolute perfect accordance to God's law, that righteousness is imputed to believers. And we are, you could say, protected and brought into the covenant, the new covenant in Christ because of Christ's perfect adherence to the law, his death and his suffering and death on the cross to atone for our sins because we've broken the law. And then we are brought to eternal salvation in him because of his resurrection. So we through the covenant of grace, stand in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we are not condemned every time we break God's law because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 says, Behold, days are coming. Now this gives us a good visual of grace versus works. And much of the doctrine that uh, we see in the book of Romans, Paul is very good at giving us a visual of what he's trying to teach us. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. Notice he uses that marriage word husband declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see? I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what he's telling us there is instead of having to follow the law Uh, legalistically, in an effort for the law to save us, we will follow the law because it's on our hearts. It's what we want to do. It's how we want to serve the Lord. We know that to follow his law pleases him. You see what I'm saying? He says, I will write, I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. But he says, uh, 
Paul says, made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What is he talking about there? He's telling us that Christ's death on the cross was our death to sin. And we've come across this point a few different times over the last couple of weeks as we've gone through the book of Romans. Made to die through the law through the body of Christ. Christ's death on the cross was our death to sin. Our obligation by covenant to God's law was abolished by our death in and with Christ on the cross. We are freed to become united with Christ. See, if you look at that analogy of the woman's husband dying, she's no longer subject to that because of death. What is the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. Our death has happened on the cross in Christ. So we are freed from the from being bound and condemned by the law. And he says, why? So that you might be joined to another. We believers belong to Christ. We have now been joined to him instead of being slaves to sin. Remember before in the previous sermon, slaves to sin, we are now slaves to righteousness. Instead of being joined to sin, using the example of marriage, now we are joined to Christ. We've been freed from sin, set free from that obligation, and now our obligation is Christ because we've been saved in him and we are joined to him. We believers belong to Christ and all that we are is by and for him. He says to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now here we can use that visual again. If we can look at this uh, in the context of repentance. Until we come to Christ through the power of the gospel, what direction are we headed? Wages of sin is death. We are headed to eternal damnation and death separated from God and broken away from him because of our sin. When we repent, we turn, we're joined to Christ, and then what do we begin to do? Instead of bearing fruit for death, we begin to bear fruit for righteousness that's pleasing to God. We're living in conformity to Christ. But I want to expand on this a little bit. What is the purpose and reason of God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ? Why do we have the gospel? Why did God do things the way he did? That we who were so far from God, so lost in sinful rebellion against God, dead in our sins and trespasses, would not only be forgiven for our sins by the death of Jesus Christ, but we would be made alive together with him and lead lives of loving service to God, bearing fruit for him. We live in loving and grateful obedience to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, our desire to please him inspires us to meditate on and obey his law and bear fruit in righteousness. So see the total transformation in us creates a total transformation in the way that we view God's law. Before we come to Christ and we're saved by his righteousness, by placing our faith and our trust in him, God's law is horrifying. Because when we realize the perfection that it requires and we realize how horribly we have broken God's law and the condemnation that we are on, under because of it, sin just increases. But when we come to Christ, everything changes. And instead of bearing fruit for death, that's in, in, you know, in disobedience to God, now we bear fruit for righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ. The wages of sin that were due to us were laid on Christ in our place. Just as Christ died on the cross for our sin debt, we died to the law to sin in his body on the cross. His death was our death, and it set us free from sin and the law. His death was our death. Look at the topic of baptism. When we go under the water, when we're being baptized, 
we are dying. That's what it's symbolizing, that death in Christ to sin. When we rise, we're symbolizing being set free from it. We're risen just like Christ was risen. And then we start following him and bearing fruit for righteousness. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. This is from a message either last week or week before last. Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We're talking in legalistic language, in legal language here. There's a covenant, a legal agreement that was made between God and his people. If you break that covenant, there is a debt to be paid, a penalty penalty to be paid for transgressing or breaking God's law. Christ took that penalty on himself, even though he never broke the law. It was an act of love on his part. Being freed, we are joined to him who bore our penalty in his suffering and death and saved us. Just as he was raised from death, we are raised from death in him. Just as he walked out of the tomb in victory over death, so we walk out of the tomb in victory over death in him. Just as he lives in us, we live in him. And by his grace, we follow him and bear fruit to his glory. So everything we do when we are in Christ, we do for to please him and for his glory. And we don't do it as a burden. It's a natural outflowing of what we have in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. You see? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Starting to see the visual here? We will become the righteousness of God in him. So consider how pleasing the gospel, the plan, God's plan of salvation through the gospel is in God's sight when he sees us bearing fruit for God in Christ Jesus. You see? awesome. It's beautiful. Let's look at uh, verse 5 here, Romans 7, 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Now, the next sermon we do in the book of Romans, Paul's going to delve into this and expand on this a little bit more. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Anybody that's lived a life of sin, and we all have, understand exactly what Paul's talking about here. Sin takes control. The more we engage in sin, the stronger it becomes, and it just takes over us physically, mentally, spiritually, in every way. Sin just consumes the sinner over time. And while we're in the flesh, those sinful passions are what control us. God's law is holy, God's law is just, and God's law is good. But as sinners, the law brings us only condemnation. The law brings to light every transgression against it. No sin can be hidden from or ignored by the perfect justice of God. Nothing. It says if you break even one letter of the law, you've broken the whole law. Why? Because God is perfect and holy. And to be with God, we have to. We can only be with God if we stand in perfect, perfect holiness and righteousness, which we can only have in Jesus Christ. 
James 1.5 says, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's why John 14.6 is so important. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Outside of Jesus Christ, what is there? Only darkness and death and lies. Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul who sins shall die. If you have sinned, your penalty is death. That penalty was paid on the cross by Christ. The sin debt was canceled out and nailed to the cross. Only through him can we be freed from that condemnation. Let's look at Romans 7, 6. But now we have been released from the law. Why? Because having died to that by which we were bound, we were bound to the law so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. There's a lot to learn from this verse. But now we have been released from the law. We're no longer condemned by it. We're no longer under obligation to it. Why? Because we died to that by which we were bound. We died to the obligation and the condemnation of the law so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So it doesn't say we don't try to obey the law. But the way that we relate to the law has been totally transformed. Why? Because we are new creatures in Christ. We no longer strive to obey the law, striving to achieve salvation. We strive to obey the law. Why? Because we're in the Spirit. The Spirit propels us to strive to live up to God's law because it's pleasing to Him. Now, I want to look at this same verse, but I want to look at it in the Amplified Translation. It's interesting. So Romans 7, 6 in the Amplified Bible says, But now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. Now, if you're not familiar with the Amplified Bible, It's a great tool because what it does is it takes the original languages and instead of having to look at an English translation and then go look it up in in Hebrew or Greek, they've put those explanations right into the scriptures. So they are included as you read it. That's why it's it's not always real easy to read as we might just sit and read the Bible for devotion, but for study, it's a great tool. So, So he says, but now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. The law restrained and held us captive because we were in disobedience to it. We were breaking it. So now, and he gives us this this visual now, so now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations. We don't have to live legalistically earning our salvation, but under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. So we're still obedient. We strive to be obedient to the law, but we do it because we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to do so because we are new creatures in Christ. We have newness of life, you see? It's a great translation here to really get a a better picture of what Paul's conveying through through this portion of Romans here. But one point I want to bring up here, Because this portion of scripture, uh, not really from the Amplified, but people that look at it in regular translations, take this verse and verses similar to it 
that reference the same teaching and they use it to justify totally ignoring the letter of scripture. And it's th this misinterpretation and the, the abuses of this verse here and these, this teaching has been responsible for a lot of errors in the church down through the centuries. This is one of the, this is one of those portions of scripture that is often taken out of context and used to claim that to obey the commands of scripture is legalism and that we need to only obey the spirit of what a command of scripture might say. So does this say we're to serve in the, in the spirit of what something says? No. It says we serve in the spirit because the spirit is what's driving us. It's not saying we ignore part of scripture because we're just following it in the spirit. I'll, and I'll explain this more because this is a bit complicated. Those in movements like the New Apostolic Reformation may also use this in an attempt to claim that God is bigger than the Bible. Why? Because he is spirit. And you can't put God in a box. You'll hear that all the time for people that are trapped in the Bethel movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, the charismatic movement that are obsessed with extra biblical revelation. They'll say, God, you can't keep God in a box. He's bigger than the Bible. Well, yeah, God's bigger than the Bible, but he gave us the Bible. He gave us scripture so that we would know him and for it to be our guide to live for him and to serve him. That's why he tells us, do not add for my word. Do not take away from my word. And he says, obey my word. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He's saying, you will obey my word, what is in scripture. You see? And it also, they use it in attempts to justify extra biblical prophecies and revelations. Now, I'm going to give you a good example of this. A few years ago, um, uh, somebody wanted to debate me because they were trying to defend the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, saying that it can be used in a Christian context. Their ministry was heavily based in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I said, fine, if you want to debate Let's go on the radio and do it. It's when I was doing a local live radio show here. So this guy who was supposedly a pastor and, and another pastor came on and uh, we're getting ready to debate whether AA was biblical or not, whether you could use it in a Christian context. And if you have any questions about that, just go to our website, recoveryreformation.org, and look at the uh, Exposing Recovery page, and you'll see tons of evidence showing that AA directly contradicts Scripture. It contradicts the gospel. There's no argument about it. But my point is, before we started this debate, I said, okay, you're Christians, right? They said, yes. I said, we're Christians. My friend and I were doing the debate together. Then, with that being said, in order for the debate to make sense, we have to agree on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Any argument that we make to back up either one of our points must be substantiated by Scripture. And they said, well, no, 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 because that would be uh, trying to live by the letter of the law, and we are to live by the Spirit, so we can't do it that way. So the debate never went anywhere because these guys rejected the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The absurdity of that is best exampled by considering uh, the example of going to court and two attorneys have to argue a case, but there's no clear law for them to base their arguments on. How do we know if one argument, one attorney's argument is true and another attorney's argument is false if we do not have a law to measure their arguments by? It's the same thing with scripture. If we do not measure our beliefs and our arguments and the doctrine that we claim to believe, if it doesn't hold up to scripture, how can it be true? But if you reject scripture, you can say anything's true. 
So that debate never went anywhere because it would have been a waste of time. They could say whatever they want to back up their position because they just wanted to go by what they felt was the spirit of what the Bible was saying, not what it was actually saying. And that's why they believed what they were involved in was okay because they didn't have to test it against anything. So that's why this is very important. And this is the verse they used to try to back up their erroneous position. But John 2 nullifies those arguments. We are to worship the Lord in what? Spirit and in truth. The only way we can worship in truth is if our worship is according to the word of God. We don't just worship in spirit. We worship in spirit and truth. Truth has to be measured. You see? Truth must be verified. And you can only do that through God's word. Worshiping and serving in spirit does not do away with the law or with scripture. All apost- this is important. All apostasies and all heresies must reject the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Why? Because it destroys them. Everyone that you talk to that's involved in apostasy, apostasy means to leave the faith. Heresy means to directly contradict the faith. And usually those that wander off into apostasy and leave the narrow path of truth, what do they do? They eventually become heretics. You see, but apostates and heretics must reject the authority and sufficiency of God's word in scripture. Why? Because it will destroy them because it's what exposes them. It is the light that shines, that exposes their sinful deeds. That's why it's so important to understand scripture. You see, because scripture is what helps us build discernment. And if somebody says something to you, and I've said this to my congregation for years, if I preach something that doesn't seem right or doesn't seem biblical or contrary to Christian teaching, ask me about it. We'll go to the word. Maybe I made a mistake. Every pastor does. But if I go to the word and I did say something that was contrary to what biblical doctrine teaches, you repent of it, you make the correction, and you move forward. That's how we make sure that we are staying on the narrow path. But all apostates now and heretics will reject what the Bible says because it will nullify what they're involved in. That's why you see all these churches like Bethel and on those that are involved in the NAR movement. Most of the pastors rarely have a Bible in their hand when they preach because they're not preaching Christian doctrine. They're preaching things contrary to it because the doctrine destroys what they believe in and what they're trying to stand on. Very, very important. John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is the other verse those guys were using. We don't follow the letter of the the Bible because it kills. It's the spirit that gives life. That's not what Paul's teaching. What he's saying is, if you are striving to obtain your salvation by obeying God's law, as we are commanded to do by following every letter of God's law, what will it do? It will kill you. It will destroy you because you cannot obey God's law. You see? So we're servants of a new covenant, not of a letter, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 
See, we are not saved because of the law. We're saved because Christ did obey the letter of the law. He never broke the law. His life was perfect and righteous and holy. And we stand in him. His spirit gives us life. The Holy Spirit gives us life. So we are freed from the obligation to obey every letter of the law. Do we strive to do so? Yes. Do we fail at it constantly? Yes. But we stand in Christ. We trust in him. That's why on Judgment Day, believers will never say, let me into your kingdom, Lord, because I lived a good life. I did good things. I preached the gospel. I served and helped others. No, we will say, I've done nothing to earn my way into your kingdom. I only stand here because I stand in the name of Jesus Christ and his holiness, his perfection, his righteousness. That's what it's talking about here. Very, very important teaching here for us to understand and to pay attention to. And many also use verse six from here, obviously. To claim that to obey the commands of Scripture is legalism that leads to death. Not at all. The Scriptures are what we want to live by because we are in Christ. They don't understand that the Scriptures come alive and give life through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's law that killed us now comes alive to us and shines beautifully because we are in Christ. The letter does kill if we are looking to the letter of the law to save us. The law is only condemnation and death because we have all broken it. But if we have been made alive, freed from condemnation, because we abide in and trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, then what? The law is our guide. The law is our guide. So what we're talking about here is this transformation that Paul just keeps preaching on in different ways as we've gone through the last few chapters of Romans. He's trying to get across the point that just trust in Christ, have faith in Christ. You will not be saved if you're trying to live up to the old covenant regulation and rules of the law. No one has been able to do so except Jesus Christ. He's the only one that lived up to it perfectly. No one else can do so. You see, very, very important teaching. Uh, Unless another topic comes up that I must address for next week. We'll continue in the book of Romans. I appreciate everybody being here. Like I said, we will meet together at Awakenings Coffee House the first Sunday in June and then continuing the first Sunday of every month for communion or fellowship. I hope you all can join us. Anybody locally can join us there. I'd love to see everybody there. Uh, The ministry needs support. We're involved in so many different things. Uh, if you've, I'm going to be updating the Kenya page this week. We've been able to help two families to have fresh water on their property in Kenya, which is a huge uh, blessing to be able to do that. It's not easy to do. It's expensive. Um, it's quite involved. And the next phase, phase of that is we are going to be bringing water filters into as many homes as we can. Uh, dysentery. Stomach issues are very common in Kenya because most of the water that they drink and use there is not filtered. Um, if you'd like to support this ministry, please consider doing so. It's a great blessing for us to be able to serve, and we want to be able to continue to reach as many people as we can. Right now, I believe our, our total congregation in Kenya 
uh, with the locations we have there is probably uh, reaching, I'd say we're above 400 people there. Uh, so we continue to grow in Kenya. Uh, we actually have a new church. Uh, somebody just gave us some land in another, in a part of Kisi that's, that's quite a, a ways from where our, our headquarters is located in Kisi. Uh, the church there is not even built. It's raw land. And the last time I heard, we have 30, 37 members uh, coming to listen to that pastor preach. He's an amazing man of God. His, his name is Joseph. I got to spend time with him when I was there uh, a month or so ago. And it just blew me away. 37 people going to gather and fellowship every Sunday. And there's no building. They're just meeting outside. They're meeting wherever they can. So the Lord is doing uh, a great work there. And I just praise him for that. Uh, Shayla had a question. Uh, she wants to know what heresies means. Um, the way I look at it is apostasy means you are wandering away from the faith. You're on the narrow path. You're, you're adhering to Christian doctrine. You're striving to live according to the word. And you, uh, you get lazy in your walk and you start wandering off into false teachings. Um, so you've left the path. Heresy is any direct contradiction to the Christian gospel. It's something that directly contradicts the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Mormonism is a heresy because it claims that we are saved by grace after all we can do. Um, it nullifies the doctrines of grace by saying that we must work as much as we can. We must strive to obey God's law. And whatever we fail in, Christ will sort of pick up, you know, the loose ends to say we're saved by grace after all we can do. That's not grace. We are saved totally by grace. There is nothing we can do. So that's why that's a heresy. You see, so anything that contradicts the truth of the Bible, the truth of Scripture, is heretical. Uh, Roman Catholicism is heretical because it teaches that salvation relies on um, uh, part of their their plan of salvation is is being a part of the Roman Catholic Church. If you're not a part of that church, they don't believe that you can be saved. They also rely on works. Uh, they worship the Pope. They worship Mary. All kinds of heresies that directly contradict Scripture. So um, heresy is anything that contradicts. Mom and Dad, I'm glad you guys found the service. If you missed part of it, it'll replay uh, once we sign off today. So let's close and we'll finish up. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we were able to gather here today. Uh, we thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, it's just such a blessing uh, to be able to have our hearts and our minds and our spirits open to the truth of the gospel. Uh, for those that aren't in you, uh, they often can't, they, they can't see the truth of scripture. To be able to understand these things is a supernatural act. You uh, bring us to you by opening our hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel. And until you change our hearts and our minds, we can't see the truth of the gospel. And the book of Romans is such a, a powerful book and it delves so deeply into your doctrines. And it is amazing that we can understand it because it is far above our ability to grasp what you've done in your plan of salvation through the gospel. And we know that if we understand that we are in you because only through you do you enable us to understand it. Lord, I ask that you would bless each person watching the service today. I ask that you would keep them and strengthen them. And Lord, I ask that they would consider uh, taking these scriptures into the week and studying them, uh, reading through them every day and uh, meditating on them and contemplating them and that they would use them to commune more closely with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Way Radio. You can find us on the web at the way, the letter R, 
122.org, and you can email us at thewayministrychurch at outlook.com. Until next week, thank you for listening. God bless you.